0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I am your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion, sorry, Gordon, enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. Ladies and gentlemen, the word of the day, there ain't none. There is a number. This episode of the Dion Gordon Podcast has a number of the day. The number for the day is 393. Can you use the number 393 in a sentence? Why, yes. Yes, I can. On Monday, November the 15th, 2021, the San Francisco 49ers did something they haven't done in 393 days. They won a home football game. Yay! The 49ers won a home game for the first time in 393 days since October 18th. 2020, the San Francisco 49ers circled the wagons, dug deep, and had intestinal and testicular fortitude to win a home football game in front of their home fans in their home stadium. 393 days. The last home victory, Sunday Night Football, last October, October 18th to be exact, versus the L.A. Rams. This win on Monday night at home versus the Los Angeles Rams. The San Francisco 49ers have now beaten the Los Angeles Rams five consecutive games. Kyle Shanahan has ownership of Sean McVay. Better yet, I should say Kyle Shanahan has custody of Sean McVay. That's his son. Kyle Shanahan taught Sean McVay how to ride a bike. When Sean McVay lost his first tooth, Kyle Shanahan put money under his pillow pretending to be the tooth fairy. When Sean McVay was going through puberty and wanted to know about the birds and the bees, it was Kyle Shanahan who pulled out a Marlboro light, a can of Bud Light, sat down, told young Sean McVay, his son, to sit down and said, son, let me explain to you how a vagina works. Kyle Shanahan is the father of Sean McVay. From this point forward, I should call Sean McVay Mike Shanahan's grandson. They're all in the same family. If the 49ers ever have a father and son picnic, Kyle Shanahan should show up with Sean McVay. That's his son now. Five consecutive games. Five straight games where Kyle Shanahan has jumped up and down on Sean McVay's neck like a motherfucking trampoline. He beat this dude last season with Nick Mullins. He kicked Sean McVay's ass with an undrafted free agent quarterback making $650,000 that no one wants. He beat this dude with Nick Mullins. The Sunday night game last season. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw a pass more than five yards past the line of scrimmage. And the 49ers still took the Rams to the woodshed, still sent them closer to God, still put hands and feet on them, chokeslammed them through a table, put them in an ankle lock submission, a figure four leg lock, a sharpshooter, a Texas Cloverleaf, threw them out of a balcony. Tombstone power driver, melter driver, F5, attitude adjustment, RKO, Hogan leg drop, ultimate warrior splash, whatever you want to call it still beat the brakes off this motherfucker with his quarterback only throwing five-yard passes. Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. When Kyle Shanahan tells Sean McVay to shut the fuck up, he gets quiet. But when Kyle Shanahan leaves, Sean McVay starts talking again. And I know what some of you might be thinking, Deion, you've been shitting on Kyle Shanahan all season long. You've been on this podcast demanding that Kyle Shanahan gets fired. You called him a brilliant idiot. You called him an alleged football guru, a phony, fraudulent football savant, a genius in name only? You've been advocating for this man's dismissal and departure from the San Francisco 49ers all season long. Why are you switching up now? Now you're kissing Kyle Shanahan's ass. Now you're singing his praises. Now all of a sudden you're making jokes about Sean McVay and talking about how Kyle Shanahan is Sean McVay's father. Why the switch up? Why the change in tone? Well, friends, it's actually quite simple. When you do your job appropriately, when you execute at a high level, when you call a cohesive game plan that makes sense, when you come out with different formations and pre-snap motion and misdirection and keep the defense off balance, when your running game is working and you actually stick with the running game instead of inexplicably deviating from the running game despite the fact the defense has yet to figure out a way to stop it, when you do the appropriate and correct things, When you show creativity and imagination in your play calling, instead of being stagnant and boring and vanilla and milk toast in your play calling, as you've been most of the season, if you want me to sing your praises, if you want me to speak about you in a positive way, if you want me to be nice to you, if you want me to be complimentary of what you're doing, be like Spike Lee and do the right thing. Kyle Shanahan in his game versus the Rams did the right thing and didn't deviate from it for no fucking reason. He didn't outsmart himself. Because typically, if the running game is working, Kyle will say, well, you know what, I'm going to start doing something else before they figure it out. No, Kyle. Let them figure it out first. Then adjust. Then do something else. Then go in a different direction. Keep running the football until they figure out a way to stop it. If you're going up against a team with an elite pass rush with Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd and guys that can get after the quarterback – Come out and run the football and negate all that great pass rush. If you're going up against a team with a smaller, lighter front seven, line up with big bodies and punch them in the face, bludgeon them over and over and over again with the running game, look at it like this in the context and the framework of a fight. If you're a big motherfucker, like 6'5", 270 pounds, and you get into an altercation with a guy who's like 5'8", 190, what are you going to do? What's your approach to that fight going to be? You're going to try to throw hands with this guy and show off the fact that you just started taking boxing lessons two weeks ago? Or are you going to use your size and your strength to your advantage and pick this little motherfucker up and throw him head first through a car windshield? Seriously, what would you do in that situation? If you are decidedly bigger and stronger than the opposition in the fight you're about to get into, how are you going to approach it? The answer is you're going to pick this dude up and throw him headfirst through a car windshield, through the front windshield of a 97 Mazda. That's what you're going to do because you're bigger and stronger than this person is. You have a physical advantage over this person. Use it to your advantage. Use it. The 49ers had a physical advantage on Monday, and they used it over and over and over again. They came out and established the line of scrimmage and showed their physicality and made it be known from the very beginning, from the first quarter, we are here to play football. We are here to play grown man, physical, adult football. Throwback, 1982 football, 44 runs, 19 pass attempts. You don't see that too often in the modern-day NFL. 44 rushing attempts. 19 passing attempts. Physical. And an identity was established, was reestablished. That game on Monday night looked like 2019. Established the running game, played good defense, take the ball away, efficient passing game, only a short amount, of, a few amount of passing attempts where Jimmy gets the ball out of his hands quickly, quick passes over the middle, yards after the catch, everything stays on schedule, no turnovers complimentary footballs played that game on Monday night reminded me of the formula that was so successful in 2019 it's a shame that it took nine games and people like me advocating for the firing of Kyle Shanahan to play this kind of game and put together this kind of game plan but better late than never right I mean it had to happen at some point this season and for whatever reason Kyle just gets up to play against Sean McVay they used to work together in Washington I don't know if they have animosity with each other. It seems like it from the way Kyle coaches against him. I don't know if McVay owes Kyle money. I don't know if he fucked his girl back in the day. I don't know what the case might be, but whatever it is, Kyle Shanahan seems to get super motivated to go up against Sean McVay and just mop the floor with this dude and make a mockery and embarrass this guy. That was the Kyle Shanahan that I liked a couple years ago. That was the Kyle Shanahan I believed in a few years ago. And it's so frustrating because I see he's capable of doing this. Same thing with Garoppolo. Whenever Garoppolo has a good game, I see that you can do this. You're capable of doing this. So why don't you do this on a more consistent, repeated basis? Why does it take nine games into the season for you to call a game that makes sense? Why does it take nine games into the season for the 49ers to play their most consistent and complete football game of the season? Better late than never, but you just wish it happened on a more consistent, repeated weekly basis. But I'll take it for this week. That was an awesome win. And that's a good feeling. You know, I come on these podcasts and I rant and rave and I bitch and moan and give out about how how badly the team sucks and how Kyle's always fucking up and Jimmy's Jimmy's Jimmy or whatever. And he's underwhelming most of the time. I want the 49ers to win. I'm a Niner fan. I want them to win football games. So when I complain, It's because I'm frustrated. It's because I know they can do better than this. I know that Kyle Shanahan is a better coach than what he's shown so far this season. I know he's a better play caller than what he's shown so far this season. I knew, I know that what he showed on Monday, he has that in him. He's capable of doing that. He can do this. I've seen this guy go on the road to Foxborough a year ago and mop the floor with Bill Belichick. He coached circles around the greatest coach of all time last year. He destroyed the Patriots last year with his game plan. I've seen him do this before. The other coaches, I saw him go into the New Orleans Superdome in 2019 and match wits with another offensive guru and Sean Payton and call a game plan for the ages. I've watched that 49ers Saints game from 2019 at least six times. Not even joking, no cap, no hyperbole. I've watched that game. A regular season game between the San Francisco 49ers and the New Orleans Saints. A 48-46 offensive masterpiece. This was like Van Gogh. This was art. This game and the game plans for that game should be in a museum somewhere. If you love offensive football, if you love creativity, and innovation, if you love to see schematic artistry, Go back and watch that 2019 game between the 49ers and the Saints. That's everything you could possibly want to see. Flea flickers, option plays, halfback options, whatever you want to see. He emptied the clip in that game. It was beautiful to watch. I know he's capable of doing this, so when I don't see it, that's when I get frustrated. That's when I come on here on the podcast and rant and rave out of control sometimes might seem. I get emotional, I admit and advocate for the public dismissal and firing of Kyle Shanahan at the end of the season. He's still on the hot seat. That one game does not exonerate him from all his previous failures. He's still under 500 as a head coach in the NFL. He still had four out of five losing seasons. He still has a losing record this season. It was one win, a nice win, a great win. We'll celebrate it. Rejoice and bask in it. I celebrated when I got off work. Had a nice glass of Monte tequila. Well, maybe two, three, or four glasses, but who's counting? Celebrate the win. We've only had four of them this season. We haven't won a home game in 393 days. So when you actually do win a home game and win a big game on Monday night with the whole country watching, you got to celebrate against your division rival. Why not have a, a couple glasses or two or three of your favorite beverage? Why not? It's a nice win. I'm a fan at the end of the day. I want the 49ers to win. So when they don't, that's when I get pissed. With an all-around great performance, great team effort. Everyone did their job on Monday night. There was nothing egregiously stupid that happened. Everything worked. Everything made sense. Everyone executed. There was cohesion on the team. The game plan was nice. The game plan was impeccable. Everything worked and made sense. I couldn't possibly be happier. So let's dive right into the actual recap of the game. Now, of course, a lot was made before the game about the Rams making a, a deal or bringing in Odell Beckham as a free agent. He cleared waivers after being let go by the Cleveland Browns last week. They brought him in. Unfortunately for the Rams, their other receiver, Robert Woods, tore his ACL in practice the day after they picked up Odell Beckham. So the Limp against this game with one of their best receivers out for the season and get well soon to him. Even though he plays for a division rival, you play for the Ops. Still, I hate to see people get hurt, especially good football players like Robert Woods. So you'll know, get well soon to him, wish him the best in his recovery. But unfortunately for him and the Rams, he's out for the season. But you got Odell Beckham, but there's no way possible that Odell Beckham was going to be 100% up to speed and caught up to what the Rams want to do offensively. He just got there. He just got there a week ago. He was in Cleveland two weeks ago. So you just got to, to Los Angeles. You're still trying to get acclimated and figure out how you want to fit into this offense. And the Rams come out in this game almost predictably and try to force-feed the ball to Odell Beckham, and that backfired. The first play from scrimmage, they hit Odell Beckham on an out route, complete, first down. That was a good thing for them. But then after that, Matt Stafford drops back to pass, fakes a handoff on play action to Henderson. Looked like he wanted to hit Henderson in the flat, He's covered. Now Matt Stafford has to go through his progressions. Odell Beckham is about 50 yards down the field and running towards the sideline, and you can tell this is a busted play. Odell is not where he's supposed to be on this play. Not only that, but Matt Stafford, to me, made a poor decision to even throw this ball in the first place. It's second down and eight. It's early in the game. No one scored. It's 0-0. It's first possession of the game. It's second and eight. You're going to take a shot down the field to a receiver who just came there last week. And oh, by the way, He's the only white jersey down the field on this play. There's two red jerseys back there. Number 26, Josh Norman, who miraculously did not get flagged for a defensive pass interference on this play. And number one, Jimmy Ward, who comes up with the interception, his first interception in five years since 2016 was the last time Jimmy Ward picked off a pass. This ball was basically a punt because it was just thrown up for grabs. And Odell makes the play on a tackle. To knock Jimmy Ward down, but that was the first miscue with the game. This is Matt Stafford coming off a game against Tennessee last week where he had two hideous interceptions early in the game that threw them out of that game. They were down 14-0 in that game early and never recovered. They would be down 14-0 in this game and not recover. So Matt Stafford on consecutive weeks has thrown the Rams out of the game early. Ensuing possession, the 49ers take the ball at about the eight yard line and proceed to go on an 18-play death march down the field. 18 plays, 93 yards, took about eight and a half minutes off the clock. That first quarter flew right by because the Niners had the ball so long in this possession, and what a possession it was. You saw a toss plays to Elijah Mitchell to get him out in space on the edge. You saw Debo Samuel, the wide receiver, lined up in the backfield as a running back. He got several handoffs on this drive. You saw George Kittle get involved early, call a nice out pattern from uh, Jimmy Garoppolo early in the drive on a third down to keep the chains moving. The Niners all season long have been struggling with third down conversions, but on this drive they converted several. You don't put together an 18-play drive if you can't convert third down. And they did a great job of doing that on this initial drive of the game and proceeded to march the ball down the field, get into the red zone. And Jimmy Garoppolo, at about the eight-yard line, goes through his progressions, looks to his left, comes back to his right, and throws a beautiful pass to George Kittle in the back of the end zone. Touchdown, 49ers, 7-0, right out the gate, statement made, identity has now been asserted. We are playing 2019 complimentary, physical, grown man, punch you in the mouth and snatch your chain football. That's what time we on right now. They let the Rams know from the giddy up. We are not fucking around tonight. We are here for keeps. Our season is on the brink of disaster. We are three and five coming into this game. There's talk about our coach getting fired, our quarterback being replaced with a rookie quarterback, our backs are against the wall. We got to fight our way out of it. And that's exactly what the 49ers did in this game. And they made it known from the very first drive in the game, we're coming out swinging. We're going to fight you tonight. This is going to be a knockdown drag out, a slobber knocker, a pier six brawl, whatever you want to call it. This is going to be a fight. Next, Rams possession. They have the football. Hit a few passes over the middle, but then it gets to a third down. Now, Matt Stafford's trying to hit tight end Tyler Higbee on a screen. Only problem was he couldn't handle the football. He dropped it. The ball bounces off his arms and right into the arms of Jimmy Ward, who comes up with his second interception of the game. So this guy had gone five years without getting a pick. And now, within about five minutes, he has two picks in one game and took this for a house call all the way back. Touchdown, pick six, 49ers, 14-0. Jimmy Ward did an outstanding job on this play because he's covering Cooper Cup in the slot. And first of all, he's physical with him, doesn't give him free release, puts hands on him. But then he has the football instincts, the IQ, the knowledge to understand this ball's not going to Cooper Cup. This is a quick screen to Tyler Higbee. He peels off a Cooper Cup, gets right into the appropriate position, and is able to catch this deflection and take it all the way back for six. Outstanding play by Jimmy Ward. Great instincts, like I said, just everything. He read that play perfectly. San Francisco. Next, Rams possession. They take it down the field. They score a touchdown. Tyler Higby redeems himself. He catches a touchdown pass this time to make it 14-7. But the 49ers answer right back. They don't typically do this. Usually when someone else scores, they just get flustered. In this game, they answer right back. This time with an eight-play drive, taking it all the way down the field, culminating with a Debo Samuel rushing touchdown. Once again, lined up in the backfield as a running back. Elijah Mitchell goes in motion to the right. The handoff is to Debo Samuel going to the left. Excellent job of blocking by Brandon Ayuk. Um, I guess that was the reason why he was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse because he's not a very aggressive or good blocker or just wasn't too interested in, in blocking. But in the past couple weeks, Brandon Ayuk has really raised his level of play. Catching passes over the middle and as a blocker. That's very vital in the Kyle Shanahan offense. A receiver is going to be asked to block a lot. In the framework of this offense, I thought Ayuk did an excellent job all night, especially on this play. A great job of blocking by number 11, Brandon Ayuk. He caught a pass over the middle on this drive. That was a well-thrown ball by Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's give credit where credit is due, man. Like I said, when you do things at a high level, I don't mind saluting you. When you stink up the joint, I'm going to call you out. But when you play at a high level and do things the right way, I will acknowledge it. I've maligned Jimmy Garoppolo extensively on this podcast. But I have no problem giving this man credit for several nice throws throughout the course of this game. Over the middle, which is pretty much primarily where Jimmy throws the football, but still heavy traffic over the middle, tight windows. Got to fit the ball into those tight windows, and he did. Brandon Ayuk snagged one out of nowhere I was sure was going to get picked off, but he caught it. Uh, Earlier on the drive on the third down, Debo Samuel caught another nice pass, well-thrown ball over in the middle keep the drive going. Jimmy did this all night. Tough passes, tight windows, get the ball out of his hands quickly. Like I said, the Rams have an elite pass rush. That's how they want to play football. They want to get after you with Floyd and Donald and now Von Miller. And also you got Ball Hawks in in the back end of their defense and Jordan Fuller and Jalen Ramsey. They're going to take advantage of of the pressure being applied by the guys up front and come up with easy deflections and interceptions and things of that nature. So you negate all that by running the football and getting the ball out the quarterback's hands quickly. I can't say this enough, excellent game plan and great execution throughout the entire night, but Jimmy did a great job is hitting passes over the middle, which is what he does best other than quarterback sneaks and handing the ball off, but hitting passes over the middle, quick throws, is what Jimmy Garoppolo does best, and it worked. Like a charm in this game. Now, where I do push back is all the people who are ready to throw a parade for Jimmy Garoppolo and induct him into Canton, Ohio in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for him having three solid, pretty decent, nice, okay-ish, above-average games in a row. Pump the brakes. This guy is an eight-year pro. He should be able to make the passes that he made on Monday night. He's an eight-year veteran. He's been in the league for long enough. He makes $25 million a year. He should be able to do this on a regular and consistent basis. It shouldn't be to the point where people are ready to throw a party because he had a nice game. This should be a regular occurrence. I see so many people online saying, all you Jimmy haters, all you Jimmy naysayers, you guys got to give him credit now, man. You guys got to eat crow. Where you guys at now? You guys always dumping on Jimmy. Where you at now? Man, he's had three awesome games in a row. To me, people who brag about Jimmy having good games, or the same people who probably brag about paying their bills on time or taking care of their kids or being in a relationship and not cheating on their woman. It's like, motherfucker, you're supposed to do that shit. As Chris Rock once said many years ago in a comedy special, you're supposed to do that shit. What, you want a goddamn cookie or something? You've been in the NFL eight years as a quarterback. You're supposed to make these passes. I'll give you credit when you make it. He played, a, he played a nice game, efficient, 15 of 9, 19 182 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, no turnovers. Nice game. Do it again next week. Establish consistency, and I'll shut the fuck up. I will leave you alone. But anyway, 49ers 21, Rams 7. Now, in the next drive, the Rams take the ball down the field. Unfortunately for them, time is running out in the first half. They get stuffed in the red zone. Now they bring out the field goal unit. Now, at this juncture of the game, is 21-7-49ers right before halftime. You have an entire second half of football left to go. You don't need to panic. You don't need to do anything drastic or out of the ordinary, but the Rams decided to roll the dice and take a gamble with a fake field goal. From my perspective, if it's fourth down and you feel like you want to try to make an aggressive play to get back into this game, I would take my chances to feel more comfortable with Matt Stafford throwing a football as opposed to Johnny Hecker, my kicker. But that's what the Rams decided to go with. They run a fake field goal. Hecker gets the ball, spins out, rolls to his right. The 49ers snuff it out. In particular, number 93, DJ Jones snuffs it out, who made one of the best plays in the game. He's lined up on the line of scrimmage when this play starts. He comes out of the line of scrimmage. He's chasing down Johnny Hecker and the intended receiver on this play and makes the tackle to shut down this trick play or whatever the fuck the Rams are trying to do. This is an awesome football play. Great read by DJ Jones. Great discipline. Great play recognition. Great everything. Awesome, phenomenal job by DJ Jones. And to me, this was the end of the game. When I saw this as I was watching the game live, I said to myself, that was desperate. That whole play call reeked of desperation. You don't do that if you don't feel like you need to get back into the game. But like I said, if you want to make a play call like that, if you want to go for it on fourth down, then go for it on fourth down and run that play with your playmakers, with Matt Stafford. You made this trade in the offseason to go get Matt Stafford. You decided that Jared Goff wasn't good enough anymore. You made this deal with Detroit. You brought this guy in. He's played at a high level for the majority of the season. He leads the NFL in passing yards. He's thrown over 20 touchdown passes this season. He had a shitty game. Uh, Monday night in a shitty game last week versus Tennessee. But still, he's Matt Stafford. He is one of the top 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So if if I'm going to run a trick play on fourth down, I'm not letting Johnny Hecker throw that pass. Matt Stafford is throwing that fucking pass. Plain and simple, with Odell Beckham on the field and Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson and Tyler Higbee, my playmakers. I'm not running a trick play with my kicker and some other dude. I thought that was an absolutely horrendous play call by Sean McVay, but as a 49er fan, I'll take it. But like I said, to me, that was the end of the game. The rest of the game was a mere formality, a foregone conclusion. The only real big notable play in the second half was Debo Samuel catching an in-breaking route across the middle of the field on fourth and five, taking it 40 yards to the paint, his second touchdown of the game. An absolute virtuoso performance by Debo Samuel. At this portion of the program, we're going to have a conversation About Tyshawn, Raekwon, Debo Samuel. This was the baddest man on the planet on Monday night. Hands down, unequivocally, the best player on the field in this game. With Jimmy Ward being a close second, Jimmy Ward was the best defensive player. Debo Samuel was far and away, hands down, the best offensive player in this game that night. He kicked the Rams' ass. Lining up in the backfield as a running back, running routes as a receiver, Yards after the catch, running away from people, running over people. It didn't matter. This dude was a man among boys. He was a god on that field on Monday night. Where would the 49ers be without Debo Samuel? They're 4-5 and five right now. They might be 0-9 without Debo Samuel. This guy, to me, should be in the MVP conversation. I'll go ahead and say that. If the Niners make the playoffs this year, he won't win it, of course. He's a He's a receiver. Almost zero chance of Debo Samuel winning MVP this year. I'm just saying, if the Niners actually made the playoffs this year, Debo Samuel should get some MVP consideration. This dude has been an absolute joy to watch play football this season. He's been a fucking menace, snatching chains all season, taking bikes away from people. The Rams needed that brick that Craig hit Debo with at the end of the movie to stop Debo Samuel on Monday night. God bless Debo Samuel, and as a 49er fan, I am fucking proud to have this guy on my team. Number 19 in red, gold, and white is the baddest man on the planet right now. NFC Offensive Player of the Week, Debo Samuel, and well-deserved, very much deserved. Debo Samuel on Monday night, Had five catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. He also had five carries for 36 yards and another touchdown. 133 yards of total offense and two touchdowns, both as a running back and a wide receiver by Tyshawn, Raekwon, Debo, Samuel, NFC Offensive Player of the Week and the baddest motherfucker walking right now. Debo, Samuel, have yourself a day. In the postgame, Jimmy Garoppolo was quoted as saying, Debo is a unique talent. Just the durability of the guy, the route running ability, the mental capacity, just to keep everything he has in his head and that he has to do on a week-to-week basis. It's really impressive. The dude can play multiple positions, and he's earned everything he's gotten. Jimmy, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Debo Samuel is listed as a wide receiver. In all reality, he's he's a weapon. He should be listed as a weapon. Receiver, running back, doesn't matter. Slot, X, X. Z, Y, wherever the fuck he's lined up at, doesn't matter. He is a weapon and a beautiful weapon for the San Francisco 49ers. He's an AK-47. He's a rocket launcher, a grenade launcher. He's a flamethrower. He's all that. He's a sniper rifle. He's a weapon for the San Francisco 49ers. Couldn't be any happier that that guy is on my team. Debo Samuel is fucking Awesome. Why stop there? Let's say some more good things about Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel this season is second in the NFL with 979 receiving yards, second only to Cooper Cup of the LA Rams. That is also second through nine games in franchise history, second only to Jerry Rice, and there's no shame in being second to Jerry Rice. The total was also good for 43% of the team's receiving yards, the highest percentage by any player through nine games since Antonio Brown with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2015. His 517 yards after the catch lead the NFL and give him a chance to be the first wideout to do that since the Marius Thomas of the Denver Broncos in 2013. He is also averaging 9.6 yards after the catch per reception, which will be the highest for any receiver with 50 or more receptions over the past 15 seasons. Debo Samuel, tip of the cap, salute. I'm raising a glass of Pinot Noir to you, my friend. Continue on this trajectory. Keep kicking ass and taking names, stomping the mud hole in opposing defenses and walking it dry. Continue being awesome. Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, Debo fucking Samuel. More 49er superlatives coming out of this game. George Kittle is showing you why when he's healthy and available to play football, he is in the conversation for best tight end in pro football all phases as a route runner, as a pass catcher, and as a blocker. Ask Von Miller about how good of a blocker George Kittle is. He mauled him repeatedly throughout the entire game. Kittle had five catches, 50 yards, one touchdown this week. Had to rebound off of last week's tough game. He played a pretty good game overall versus Arizona last week, but he did have a costly fumble that kind of set the wheels in motion for that embarrassing loss last Sunday versus the Cardinals. Rebounded nicely this week. Uh, Reports said that he that he was so pissed off about that fumble last week. He took it so hard. He held himself accountable. He carried a football around the entire week to remind himself the importance of ball security. And this week he came out and had a nice game, no fumbles, no turnovers. The entire team did not turn the ball over. Complimentary football. You take it away twice, you don't give it away at all. That's a winning formula. That's how you win football games. Another way you win football games is by tackling. Tackling. Because as I've said before in this podcast many times, the two most basic principles of any football game are blocking and tackling. Nine times out of ten, the team that wins the game is a team that blocks better and a team that tackles better. And in this particular game, the Niners blocked and tackled better than the L.A. Rams. Aziz Al-Shahir, eight tackles. Fred Warner, eight tackles. K1 Williams, six tackles. The entire team as a whole, as a collective, were much better at tackling the opposing ball carriers and bringing them to the ground, thus stopping the play. As far as blocking is concerned, the first guy you got to mention is Daniel Brunskill, the much maligned Daniel Brunskill, much maligned by me. I've obliterated this guy on this podcast time and time again. I've lamented about the fact that I would rather see second-round draft pick Aaron Banks on the field getting experience and learning how to play his position as opposed to Daniel Brunskill, but for whatever reason, I can't even explain this. I cannot accurately articulate this and put it into words as to how and why Daniel Brunskill is awful versus everyone else, but against Aaron Donald, he is the best right guard in pro football against the best defensive player in the league, Daniel Brunskill plays his best football. If only he could take this, copy and paste it, and do this same performance versus other pass rushers, other nose tackles, other defensive linemen. Brunskill was great in this game. So was Tom Compton. I am my, my doubts, my trepidations about Tom Compton coming into this game and trying to block Von Miller. Awesome job. Tom Compton did a, did a great job. I've said before in this podcast, You know an offensive lineman's doing their job when you don't really notice them at first. You have to really, like, look at the football game closely to notice offensive linemen when they're doing their job correctly. They all did their job. Trent Williams, you ain't got to worry about him. That's the best left tackle in pro football. I've said that numerous times on this podcast. Trent is awesome on a weekly basis. He is arguably the best player on the team overall. It's between him, Debo, and Fred Warner and George Kittle when healthy. Those are the four best players on the team on the entire 49er roster. Lakin Tomlinson did a great job. Alex Mack did a great job. The entire offensive line held up. Jimmy only got sacked, I think once, and barely got hit, only through 19 passes. Like I said, the game plan was awesome. 44 rushes, 19 pass attempts. Don't expose Jimmy to too much. Don't put the, the game in his hands. Just let him make a few passes here and there, establish the run, play good defense, take the ball away copy and paste everything that worked in 2019, which is what the organization has been saying the entire offseason. season. We're gonna run it back and pretty much emulate 2019. Well, in this game, you actually did it. This game looked like 2019. So, it's a victory, it's a win. It's a positive result for the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco 31, Los Angeles 10. That's your final score from Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. The fan base is jubilant, elated, overjoyed, over the moon right now. A week ago, it was all doom and gloom and misery and the sky is falling. We had just come off an embarrassing, deflating, demoralizing loss at home to an Arizona Cardinal team that didn't have Colin Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Niner fans were ready for war last week. The entire fan base as a whole was pissed off and miserable in their feelings. How the fuck do you lose a home game? to a Cardinals team with Colt McCoy as starting quarterback. How does this happen? We felt so good coming out of the Chicago game. Went to, went to Chicago, went to the Windy City, Soldier Field, took care of business, beat the Bears, get the three and five. Coming off a four-game losing streak, get the three and five. Figure we're coming home for an easy game, a shoe-in, a slam dunk. This is a layup versus a Cardinals team missing their two best players. We're supposed to win this game and came home and laid that fat-ass egg, completely shit to bed. So last week, Niner fans completely downtrodden, myself included. I came on this podcast last week, and I predicted, I forecasted, I even advocated for a public humiliation. I said the Rams should beat the brakes off the 49ers to send a message on national TV with the entire country watching the Manning cast, ESPN, Monday Night Football, The whole world, the whole country, all sports media, all social media is watching this game and they're going to talk about it. And if the 49ers come out on Monday Night Football and get destroyed by the L.A. Rams, that's going to facilitate change. Somebody's going to get fired this week. Well, that didn't happen. They came out and they played well. They played at a high level. So no one's getting fired this week from the 49ers. Everyone's safe. Everyone's good. Everyone's happy. Here's the caution. Do not get too overconfident again. Because the real test of a good football team is can you do this on a consistent basis, which is what I keep advocating for. One win is not enough. Don't just settle for the fact. Don't rest on your laurels because you pulled off a big upset win on Monday night versus the Rams. I've seen this movie before. I've seen football teams, middle of the road, average, okay, borderline playoff teams come up with a big victory in a primetime game. And start feeling themselves and start feeling like they turned the corner and they hit the switch and they're about to go on the run. And this is the start of our playoff run right now. This is where everything clicked and came into, came into formation. This is where everything started to make sense. This game was the catalyst for a playoff appearance. And then that same team proceeds to choke and fail and struggle to finish the season down the stretch and miss the playoffs. So just because you got one win on Monday night versus a division rival on primetime on Monday night football does not mean the season is now saved. I also don't like when people look at the rest of the the remaining schedule and say, well, the Niners should win this game and that game and this game. You're 4-5. and This team has not earned the right to look at the schedule and say, we're going to win this game. We're going to beat Minnesota. We're going to beat Jacksonville this week. We're going to beat Cincinnati. We're going to beat Atlanta. We're going to beat Seattle up in Seattle. Already played Seattle at home. You outgave them 218-7 in the first half and still lost the game. You're 4-5. and five. Slow it down. Pump the brakes. Nice win. It's awesome. Celebrate. Rejoice. Bask in the glory. But at the same time, stay focused. Because my fear is that you come off this big win on Monday night. It's a short week. You got to fly across country from the West Coast to Florida, Duval County, Jacksonville, Florida, and play a two-win Jacksonville Jaguar team. However, this is a team two weeks ago that beat the Buffalo Bills. They shut down Josh Allen. They held that high-flying, explosive offense to only six points. As the old saying goes, any given Sunday, we've seen that repeatedly over the past couple weeks in the NFL. We saw a Denver Bronco team going to uh, uh, Dallas and beat them up 30-16. to we saw, we saw the New York Jets this season beat the Tennessee Titans as good as Tennessee has looked this season. They lost to the New York Jets. The Jets also beat the Cincinnati Bengals. Anything can happen any given Sunday. Do not, never under any circumstances, underestimate the opponent. I've said this many times before in the podcast. There are 32 teams in the National Football League. The margin of error is slim, is minimal at best. And the gap between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league is not as big as people think that it is. Jacksonville's two and seven. They got professional football players on their roster. They got grown men. They watch tape. They study film. They lift weights. They practice. They put together game plans. They do all the same things that the 49ers and every other team in the NFL does. Take them seriously. Do not look past them. That goes for the team itself and the fan base itself. Because like I said, everyone got their hopes up coming off the Chicago victory. That the 49ers were just going to come home and take care of business versus the Arizona Cardinals team, missing two of their, best, their two best players. Everyone thought the Cardinals game was going to be a rollover, an easy win, easy dub, right? Came out there and got smacked 31 17 by the Cardinals backups. Do not take the Jacksonville Jaguars lightly. Anything can happen. I've seen teams get up for the big primetime game and then go on the road and play the early 1 o'clock window game versus a team that no one really cares about and a game no one's going to watch. Once again, everyone watched that game on Monday night. This Sunday, Jacksonville, San Francisco, not a whole lot of people are going to watch that game. So how do you get up to play a game versus a two-win team on the road in their building when you know this is not the central focus of the NFL world this week? You are not in primetime. There are not going to be a whole lot of eyeballs and attention on Jacksonville, San Francisco at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time and 10 a.m. Pacific Coast time out here in the Bay Area. How do you get up for that Jacksonville Jaguar game? This, is, this, to me, is almost a bigger test than the Rams game because the Rams game, division rival, you're beating them a bunch of times in a row, you see these guys twice a year, you're going to get emotional for that game, you're going to get up for that game, you're desperate, your backs are against the wall. Now you're coming off a big-time win. Everyone's been kissing your ass all week, telling you how great you are. Do you get a false sense of security? Do you get a big head about the situation? Do you get overconfident? Or do you remain focused, lock in, and go on the road and handle your fucking business? We're going to see this Sunday. We're going to find out. Hopefully, they're able to go down there, handle business, improve to 5-5, five and five, 500, and keep moving in the right direction. Establish a winning streak and reestablish the winning culture out here. Put together a streak. Go win three, four, five games in a row. If you're truly a playoff team, you'll go down there and not just beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, but overwhelm them, beat them down. You're a six point favorite on the road. Establish your identity, run the football, come out aggressive and physical again, Do not come out here and try to have Jimmy Garoppolo throw it all over the yard to prove a point or try to catch them off guard, take them by surprise, do the opposite of what you did last week. No. Stay focused, Kyle. Take everything you did this Monday and do it again until they stop it. Do not deviate from the running game. Keep running the football until they stop it. It's very simple. I know you're a genius. I know you're the smartest guy in the room. But sometimes you have to do what's obvious, do what's basic, common sense. Don't overthink it, Kyle. Just do what's right there in front of you. You know, there's a lot of talk about Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. What about my doghouse? What about Deion Gordon's doghouse? Kyle is still in my doghouse. So is Jimmy because I need to see it on a repeated, consistent, weekly basis. One game ain't enough. Do it again next week and the week after that and the week after that. Keep this going. And then you can escape my doghouse. You know how you get out of my doghouse? Stop being shitty and start being awesome. That's how you escape Dion Gordon's doghouse. Stop being shitty and start being awesome. Once again, though, awesome win. It's a great feeling to always get a W. I'm a fan first before anything else. I've been walking around all week with my 49er gear on, feeling good, feeling proud of myself, my faithful to the bay jacket, my other. I got like eight 49er jackets, by the way. About eight 49er jackets, about 10 49er hats, 49er masks, jerseys, 49er socks. I've been decked out ever since the win on Monday. I walked into work on Monday trying to will and inspire the team to play well. My brand new, beautiful, glistening gold, faithful to the Bay 49er jacket on. Maybe that's good luck. Maybe I'll wear it again on Sunday. I don't know. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to wear the same jacket, that Faithful to the Bay jacket on Sunday to see if it brings the team positivity, goodwill, and overall just good juju in general. Overall, life itself is better when the 49ers win football games. There's a lot of shit going on in this world. Most of it sucks. But one thing that could put a Band-Aid on all the bullshit in this world is the San Francisco 49ers winning a football game. Good job. Awesome performance on Monday night. Both sides of the ball, complimentary football, et cetera. The challenge now, the question now is, can you do it again? Can you repeat this performance going forward? We shall see. That concludes this episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. Always humble, eternally grateful, very much appreciative. You already know it by now. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, picture me rolling. I'm out.